This morning, I have the privilege of continuing a series that we have been in that we are calling How to Be Happy. And in this series, we're just taking a journey through the New Testament book of Philippians, a book that is laced with a theme of joy, an invitation to express and experience happiness. And something we've continued to lean into is this reality that regardless of who you are, regardless of where you're from, and frankly, regardless of what seasons you may go through, joy is within your reach. It may not be an easy reach. And it doesn't mean that the situation is going to change or be fixed or we'll go through no more difficulty. But, but what scripture is inviting us into is a possibility of experiencing a defiant joy even in the midst of less than ideal circumstances. And uh, this morning we are going to continue our series uh, and we are going to be in Philippians chapter 4 starting at verse 1. You can feel free to turn there and... Uh, As we continue this conversation, the Apostle Paul, who penned this letter to his friends in a church in uh, an area called Philippi, he's starting to wind down his letter. And uh, the way Paul tends to wind down a letter is he stops building arguments, he stops building theological cases, and he just starts rapid firing from the heart. He just starts to talk to his people about, this is what I long for you, and, and oh, also this, and oh, I, uh, yeah, I want to mention this as well. And he just starts to share the things that are most pressing on his heart, and that's what starts to happen in Philippians chapter 4. And even though it doesn't follow a a neat theme, I think as we start to hear Paul's concluding thoughts, it, it, it seems to start to paint a picture of the joy community. What does a community that's conducive to joy look like? What do the people in a community in which joy thrives, what do those people look like? What kinds of things mark that kind of environment? And um, I think Paul starts to give us some hints that we can collect and piece um, together. And so what we're going to find are just some really practical, simple thoughts. Um, Because joy is within reach, but... It matters where you plant yourself. And we saw this last week. Hey, listen, (laughs) the people you connect with, your company, your community is like a current. And you're going to end up where they go. Whether you like it or not, it's just the way things flow. And uh, I think we see this as we wrap up the book of Philippians. So listen, if you plant and surround yourself with sour people, you are going to find yourself moving in a sour direction. It's just the way it is. If you find yourself planted with people who are constantly in the midst of drama and dysfunction, don't be surprised if you are constantly the emotional thespian. There's always some chaos going on. But on the other hand, if you plant yourself in a community that that's conducive to joy, you may find yourself starting to experience joy because joy is within reach, but sometimes it has to do with the folks that I am reaching and connecting with. And so if you find yourself like, man, there's a little bit of a shortage of the experience of inner gladness, one of the things you might want to consider is check your people. 
Check your people. Um, Philippians chapter 4, verse um, 1. Um, here's what Paul says. And he, he just starts to give us some of the things that mark a community that's conducive to joy. Therefore, my brothers and sisters... You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. You whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. So Paul starts, uh, Philippians chapter 4, it's super awkward. And he starts it the way he started the book. He returns to this theme of affection um, that we saw when this journey started. He wraps the letter the same way he started with this gushy, unapologetic unmistakable expression of his affection for his friends in Philippi. And uh, we saw when this letter started that Paul cares deeply for his friends in Philippi. And because he cares deeply for them, he is committed to letting them know he cares for them deeply. He's not into uh, affection hoarding. If he loves people, he believes that they should know that he loves and cares about them. And so this is how he starts chapter four. I don't know what kind of home you were raised in, but in my home, if anyone talked like this, it would be super awkward. I love you guys, he says, and I miss you. And um, I'm in the joint. I'm, I'm in prison, but I can't stop telling these guards how much you mean to me. I just am bragging about you all of the time. Affection. Now, I don't know if you have to be a theologian or a scientist to figure it out, but a context in which affection is unmistakably expressed tends to be conducive to joy. It tends to be conducive to joy. I don't think you have to be a genius to figure that out. Uh, one of my favorite grad professors uh, did something at the end of uh, our, our class semester that I thought was super awkward the first time she did it. Um, she had all of us who were in the class sit in a circle. And, uh, and then we would take turns being, as she called, blessed. And blessed means that you sit in the middle of the circle um, and then we're like, can we not do the middle of the circle? All right, you can stay in your chair, but when it's your turn, we get to go around the room and everybody gets to say something they've noticed about you that they truly appreciate. It was awkward. And by awkward, I mean, if you want to see a bunch of grown-ups crying. That was the environment for it. Um, my wife heard about this, and she thought, well, that sounds like a good idea. And so now she's kind of tried to introduce that into our home. And so my last birthday uh, was like this. I was, you know, surrounded by my wife and, and some of my kids, and uh, they started to go around 
and just tell me things that they had observed about me and, and things that they appreciated about me. And I'm telling you, I'm like, my face is like, please stop. <laughs> and my heart is like, sunflower, you know, just blooming. And all of a sudden, I feel like the man and I feel valued. And, and, and I feel like I want to live up to all of the things you said about me. Some of the things I knew you thought, some of the things I didn't know you thought, some of the things I may knew, have known you observed, and some of the things I didn't know you had observed. But I found myself experiencing legitimate joy because they had, by their expressed affection, created an atmosphere for my heart to experience some joy. And it doesn't take science to figure that out. The environment in which you experience the loudest expression of affection for you tends to be an environment in which you are going to experience a sense of inner Gladness. And so I just, I'm just curious to know, do you have contexts like that where you are constantly being reminded and not having to wonder? But the more important question, do you cultivate environments like that? Do you cultivate environments in which you, like Paul, are letting the people you love know? I Listen, I, I want you to know unmistakably what I see and what I appreciate, and I, I love you, and I want you to know it. Is that the kind of environment that you are helping to facilitate? And I'm telling you, this has fallen on tough times, especially for us as men in this culture, where to be mushy or to be gushy is, again, it's, it's weak and it's whatever else. It is. And yet here's Paul, a dude, being super gushy. And mind you, can we just talk about our father in heaven who is super gushy and is never stingy in letting us know how much he loves us. He lavishes his love on us and nothing more explicit than Jesus Christ on the cross yelling, I love you all and I don't want anyone to miss it. And now we get to create environments like that in which joy tends to Thrive where people genuinely love each other and generously express it. Are you cultivating a context like that? Uh, the second marker I see is encouragement. It, it sounds almost similar to affection, but it's, it's, it's different. And you see that here in a second. Uh, look again at verse 1. Therefore... My brothers and sisters, you who you whom I love and long for, you're awesome, my joy and my crown, you make me so happy. And come on, fathers, can we just today maybe just, just to step into this a little bit? I will give it a shot. That's my commitment to you all. But then he, he says, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends encouragement. I love you so much. I miss you guys so much. Now stand firm. That's encouragement. 
I want the absolute best for you. And I understand that the absolute best for you is for you to continue to run after Jesus. And to continue to reach after the lost. It's to live for Jesus and to love Jesus more. And therefore, I want to urge you to keep chasing him. It's interesting that when he says stand firm, he's not talking about standing still. Standing firm is actually the art of running after Jesus, moving in his direction and not letting anything derail you from the course. Paul doesn't just communicate affection. He gives them encouragement. Because I'm telling you, if all we do is reaffirm affection, we create a very secure and also a very self-absorbed people. Tell me again how awesome I am. Bless me. Bless me. Is it my week in the circle? Is it my week to be blessed? Is it my week to be blessed? I love that Paul does both. I want you to be sure of my love. But I want you to run after something so much bigger than my love. Keep running after Jesus. Keep reaching after the lost. Don't let anything get in the way of that. Because listen, if I tell you I love you, but I don't cheer you towards Jesus, I'm actually holding you back. Um, if you have marriage, if we have marriage, but our marriage has no mission, then, man, we'll be into each other a lot and we'll be rubbing noses and saying cute things and it'll be really awesome and sweet telling each other how much we, we appreciate each other, which is fantastic, but we will not create an environment of true joy because when you read this book, the repeated idea is it's rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. And, man, if we are not pushing each other to run after something bigger than us, to live for something bigger than us, and to believe that we were actually brought together to serve a purpose bigger than us. And how can we urge each other to keep moving in that direction? I'm not saying marriage won't be good. It'll be good. But it's not going to be conducive to the kind of joy that is available in this book. I'm thankful to, to stand with folks like the Taylors who from, man, early in their marriage, they decided we are going to run after something that is bigger than us. And it's amazing to see the ripples of that and the joy that it has sparked globally, which is beautiful to see. And this is true. And again, I'm thinking very much in my immediate context as, as a dad. If, if I affirm my affection for my kids, but I don't call them to chase Jesus, I'm not setting them up for joy, not ultimate joy. Uh, my wife and I, we've been having these difficult, convicting conversations uh, recently, even just about this. And I'm needing to ask myself some Tough questions. Like, as a dad, am I more interested in my kids standing firm or standing out? And, and that will affect what things I say and in what direction I push them. Am I more concerned about my kids being known or my kids knowing Jesus? 
And that will affect what I, I say and how I encourage them. Am I more concerned with my kids being safe or my kids being sold out? That's going to affect the kinds of things that I say. Am I more concerned with my kids being stars or my kids being lights that are pointing people to the person of Jesus? That's going to affect the things that I say. And if I truly love them and I want what's best for them, I will push them towards Jesus, believing joy is an adventure of chasing after Jesus and chasing after the hurting and the broken and letting that lead them wherever it does. And I'm going to encourage them in that general direction. Do you have people in your context that you know will keep reminding you, run after Jesus? And think about it. When was the last time somebody in your world urged you to keep running after Jesus? I think the encouragement for, for us to run after Jesus in the church has become so much more implied. Like, well, you're a Christian, you're a Christian. Okay, let's just assume we're all running after Jesus, okay? I'm going to assume that about you and you assume that about me until I crash or give you a reason to think otherwise. That's not an environment conducive to joy. If you read the book of Hebrews, it says encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. So I'm just wondering, if you think about your environment, are you in a context where you are hearing on a regular basis from people like, keep running, don't quit, Jesus is worth it, chase after him, and keep running after the lost, keep saying yes to whatever it is he's inviting you into. Because it's in an environment like that that you're going to find yourself experiencing the joy that is in chasing after and living more fully for the person of Jesus. But the bigger question is about you, though. Would the people around you accuse you of regularly pointing them to love Jesus and live for him? Happy Father's Day. What would your kids say? What would my kids say? Don't answer in here, you guys. Just sit quietly. Say amen occasionally, but other than that. Um, an environment in which we are shameless about urging each other towards Jesus is going to be an environment in which joy thrives. I'm telling you, we are too quiet when it comes to urging each other. Keep running. Come on. Keep chasing after Jesus and figuring out ways to continue to urge each other towards him. The beauty of it is it, it's never too late to start cultivating that kind of environment wherever we go. We can start today, and that may mean just addressing the tribe I hang with and say, man, we are super personally affirming, but we are not very spiritually encouraging. Like, we affirm each other well and we enjoy each other a lot, but we don't really encourage each other to run after Jesus. How can we grow in that? Um, it's not too late to, 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 to start to say, man, in my home, I want to be very intentional. I, I want my kids to be 
very, very clear about how much I love them and very, very clear that I want them to continue to run after Jesus. That's my dream and desire for them. And then Paul goes one step further in verse 2. I plead, he, did, he just calls names, just names, names. I plead with you, Yodia, and I plead with you, Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask the rest of you, uh, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. This is not a pretty word in our context, but accountability. Accountability. Um, a, a joy-conducive community will have a culture of accountability. And um, this is not fun. I, I wish I could say, man, I personally enjoy it and I thrive in it and I, I, I love that level of vulnerability, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, yet the Bible calls us to it. And I love this, right? Paul tells his friends, you are my joy and you are my crown, and I love you, and I miss you, and, and so stand firm, keep chasing Jesus, and also quit fighting. Quit fighting. You and you, quit fighting, and you guys, help them. They need to stop. This is, this is not okay. I love you. I will encourage you to run after Jesus, and I will call you out when something in your life threatens that. By the way, I love the sequence of Paul's words. I want you to know I love you. I'm not going to show up and be like, I want you to know y'all need to stop fighting and y'all need to know. I love that he starts with this relationship. I care about you and I want you to run after Jesus. And there's something that's getting in the way of that. And so I want to address that because it's getting in the way of you running after Jesus because I love you. But in Philippi, there were a couple of ladies that he names who had been nursing a grudge for a while, and there was some tension that had remained unresolved um, for a good length of time. And the people in the church knew about it. Um, No one wanted to be part of the solution, and so Paul um, calls them out. Um, Ladies, you need to get on the same page. Y'all need to get on the same page. And by the way, this is not, you guys need to be best friends, and you guys need to to hug, and you guys need to go out to coffee on a regular basis, and you guys, no, this is not what he's saying. He is simply saying you need to agree that the gospel is more important than your grudge. The gospel is more important than your grudge. And uh, the, the heart of Paul in this is Listen, ladies, you will not be able to run after Jesus and experience his joy if you are carrying a grudge. It just doesn't work because you will be in the presence of Jesus and you will be worshiping him. And Jesus will say, wait a minute, but you have an issue with such and such a person and you've not resolved it. Leave, go resolve it and then come back. The art of chasing after Jesus becomes really difficult if y'all are nursing a grudge. So you need to get on the same page. Don't have to be friends. But you do need to reconcile and agree that the gospel is more important than this 
grudge. And then he calls the church out. You need to actively help them. And they can't get out of this cycle without your help. You need to help them. Because this bitterness is not going to just get in their way. It's going to contaminate this whole community. And it's going to stall your movement towards the lost. What are you going to do? Go out there and shout how Jesus is reconciling people to God while you don't invite them to reconcile to each other? There's no power in that. So Paul would say, no, you need to step in and help them. Otherwise, the whole movement stalls. And the joy in the adventure of running after Jesus and the lost will be stalled. The grudge will keep you all from running more meaningfully after him. Remind them again that the gospel of Jesus being known is much more important than the grudge of them being right. And the principle applies beyond grudges, by the way. If, if you're going to thrive, uh, man, a, a community conducive to joy is a community that doesn't ignore sin wherever it becomes known. Whether it's tension with another believer, whether it's a pattern of gossip, it is amazing if you just pause and think about it, how often in the church we cultivate an environment that's very friendly to gossip and backbiting and talking about each other in the name of prayer or whatever. Prayer request. She's a wench. Pray for her. Like almost like if you add pray for him at the end of the sentence, then everything you said before that is like it was just a prayer request. Like, no, no, I'm pretty sure that was not. But Paul is saying, like, wherever there is a pattern that the Bible calls us away from and we are just housing it or nursing it and not dealing with it, it is going to rob us of joy and it's going to keep us stalled. And we're going to wonder, why don't we see awakening? Why don't we see revival? Why don't we see breakthrough? And Paul would say, no, there's accountability that needs to be happening. A community conducive to joy just never leaves people stuck in sinful struggles or patterns without stepping in. Oh, I was in the trails a, a, a little while ago, like in Winona Trails, like in the woods. And uh, at some point I decided to kind of cut through, um, go off the, the path and through some shrubbage. Um, because I was tired. Don't judge me. I tried. Um, but so anyway, while I'm trying to, to, to cut this shortcut to get out of the, the trails, um, I did not realize that I was walking straight into the claws of a briar monster. So this thorny bush got me, man. Um, it stuck me like 14 times. And before I knew it, it's like, I, oh, uh, uh, I cannot move. They are thorns. And then I would try and pull one out and just went up. Then another one would get me and then I'll turn and then another four would get me. And I'm like, this place is getting tighter and tighter and I am donating more DNA to these trails than I would like. Um, it was rough. I was in pain. I wasn't sure how I was going to get out of that sticky situation. But thankfully, right then, a guy I knew, I didn't know him too well, but he came running down the path, you know, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, sweet relief. And so he sees me and then naturally slows down, you know. Um, and then 
then looks at me and then he says, <laughs> and then kept running. know where this guy is i've not seen him a lot since i would like to tell you what i pray the lord did with him after that but i'm not i <laughs> he said ha to me i'm like you jerk and then more thorns got me um anyway i just want to report i'm fine um scars for life but i got out of that situation um Okay, but man, I just, just, just say that's often the church. We see each other caught up in sticky situations. We see each other caught in struggle or sin or drama or tension. And we're just like, ha! Did you hear? I have a story to tell you, actually. I was running in the trail the other day, and you never believe what I saw. Pray for them. God's like, what? I'm sorry. So you did not stop and step in to help? No, I was on a clip, man. I was moving. I, I was, I didn't want my heart rate to drop me below 104 or whatever a heart rate is when you're running. I don't know. Um, but just say, do you have people you know love you too much to let you stay in active sin? People who will say, no, it's not okay, but no, you are not alone. I love you. I'm going to come sit with you, and I'm going to encourage you, but we're going to be here together. I'm not going to point fingers and talk about what you've done. I'm going to step in and walk with you as we figure this thing out accountability but more importantly are you that kind of person are you creating environments where you love people enough and want what's best for them enough that you are willing to step in and say this thing is keeping you from what is best i wonder what joy you may be holding up in someone else because you haven't addressed a place in which you see them as stuck. And then Paul returns to the theme we've been speaking around this series, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. We're not going to talk about this verse much, but I do want to point out, I love that verse 4 is in verse 4 and not in verse 1. Because sometimes we just pull this out, rejoice in the Lord always. But isn't it amazing that rejoice in the Lord is tucked right after hold each other accountable. And call each other to Jesus. And express your affection and love for each other. It's not just this thing. And so someone will say, but I've been trying to rejoice and it hasn't been working. Okay, but has your rejoice in the Lord been planted in an environment conducive for joy? 
Because joy doesn't thrive all by itself. It thrives in certain environments. And I love that Paul plants this order, this beautiful command, in the middle of a number of other things that we cannot ignore. Joy is within reach, but I'm not going to be able to bypass all of the other things and just pluck out joy conveniently. I love where it's located, and I, I, I want, you know, to grow in the things around the invitation to joy. I love that. Paul says, I want you to experience happiness. It's within your reach. And I want to be part of a community that reminds me of this. Like, no, Kondo, joy is an order. It's a command from God. Conda joy is within reach. But I don't see it right now. Yeah, but I don't see the path to joy right now. I know you're in a briar right now. But joy is within reach. There, there, there are things that we can start to step into. Things we can start to fight for. Um, I want to be in an environment where I'm reminded and reinvited to joy on a regular basis. And by the way, it won't look the same for everyone. Your joy and my joy may not be the same. Um, in fact, if we were to measure how, how much happiness you get to experience and how much happiness I get to experience, I don't know that everybody is going to experience the same level of happiness. Thankfully, it doesn't matter because I don't know how much happiness you experience. I just know what joy may mean for me. And I say that because for some of us, we are going to have complications that the rest of us won't understand. And what joy looks like for us may take a different shape, but it's still real and it's still within reach. And um, it may require different kinds of help at times. That's why I love the community concept of joy. Um, because in community, I think things we, we, we may not see as possible become a little more possible as people step in and help and as people come together and encourage a little bit more. Um, and honestly, for some of us, it may be people coming alongside and telling us like, um, yeah, I know you want joy, but you got to do what the doctor told you. No, 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 no. I just want to do this. Like, okay. And again, respect to it, but it'd be great to be in an environment where people may come and tell you, but yeah, but, but you're thyroid though. Like you may want to, to, to have a look at that. Um, yeah, joy may actually be in your diet some. Like they may be some things you need um, to do. But in either case, I love that this is a command that is possible and within reach for us. If we would figure out what it looks like to do some of the things that Paul speaks about in community around this passage. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Um, Gentleness. Um, it's an interesting word, by the way. It's not so much about being quiet or soft-spoken or, or tender. The word here is describing someone who refuses to retaliate. Someone who doesn't push for payback. It's, it's a strong word. It's a virtue that comes to the surface when I feel like I have been wronged. 
And when Paul is penning these words to Philippians, they are under an immense amount of persecution on account of their faith in Jesus. On a regular basis, they have people threatening uh, to throw them in jail. They have people threatening their lives. They have people threatening to confiscate uh, their property. They have, they, they, they have people who are mocking and ridiculing them. They are constantly under the weight of offense. And Paul is saying, even in the midst of all of that, I want to call you to gentleness, gentleness. A community that says, we are not bent on repaying or retaliating or hitting back. And I love that. Paul says, it should be known to the people around you and should be puzzling to them. How in the midst of the things that are being said about you and the things that are being done to you and the threat that you're under, that you just refuse to pay back. And I'm telling you, a community that's conducive to joy is a community that promotes gentleness. And this, to me, is another challenging thing. Um, Because, man, oftentimes what we want to do is kind of sit in the drama with people. No, oh, he did not. Yes, he did. Oh, no. Did he really? Yeah. And we perpetuate wrongs, and we help people replay and rehash and rehearse what somebody did and the hurt that somebody inflicted on them. The problem is if I keep replaying something, my replaying is going to spawn claws, and I'm going to want to repay. And Paul is saying an environment that in any way encourages other people to get even or get that person back or she ain't right, we should go, is an environment in which joy is elusive. He invites to gentleness, gentleness. Um, And I'm just asking, do you have people around you who help you fixate on the wrong thing, payback, or fixate on releasing the people who have wronged or hurt you? That's what gentleness is. Let them go. Release them. And the question is how? And Paul tells us at the end of verse 5. He says, the Lord is near. I love what he says. He's not naive. He says, the Lord is near. And I want to be part of an environment in which people say, I know it hurts. But that hurt does not define you because the Lord is near. I know it's not right what they did, but he is on his way and he will make all things right. You can let it go and hand it off to him. I hear their threats, but they don't get to carry out any threat unless Jesus somehow signs off on it. And if they happen to put us in prison, guess who will be near us in prison? Jesus is near. And there's this chant, this repetition in the midst of being wrong that Jesus is near and is going to make all things right. So you don't have to carry out payback. And this is powerful, by the way, because the moment I carry out payback, I take, in essence, out of the hands of God something that he has promised to to do. And those are the very hands that carry joy. And I'm saying, we got it. We're going to take it into our own hands. No, Paul would say an environment conducive to joy is an environment in which we continue to remind each other Jesus is going to take care of that. Jesus has got that. But you don't know what my ex says about me when the kids are with him on the weekends. But Jesus has got that. You cannot afford to start paying back evil for evil. And I just wonder if you are the kind of person who points people to release things and trust that Jesus is 
near. And again, I fear too often in the church we've made it okay to just perpetuate people's frustration with wrongs done and we help build this. Oh, the government did what? And they said what? Oh man, we got to do something about it. And we lose that sense, that refrain that should be sung in the church. Jesus is near and Jesus has got this. And our gentleness should be evident to all. And people are wondering, how come you guys aren't flying off the handle about this? No, we're hurt. We're mad, but we also believe Jesus is near. And he's going to take care of it. And then finally, he ends with verse 6 for this section. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. This is an invitation to to prayer. Um, When Paul talks, by the way, here about anxiety, he's talking about anxiety in light of the threats that the Philippians are experiencing. They are under immense threat because they've gone all in with Jesus Christ. And I think that's a really important context for us to understand. This anxiety obviously applies to all anxiety, but primarily it's talking to the person who has gone all in with Jesus and therefore has concerns. But if we say yes to Jesus, what if we can't raise the funds? If we say yes to Jesus, how are we going to add one more kid to the family? But if we say yes to Jesus, what will the the, the people at work say? If we start to talk about Jesus, what will our friends at school say? And you start to experience a little bit of worry in light of saying yes to Jesus. And it's to that that Paul would say, pray those worries, pray those concerns, because you can talk about them if you want. You can wallow in them if you want. You can replay them if you want. But a community conducive to joy is one in which prayer is constantly louder than the worry. We are concerned of the direction of this nation, and we're going to pray about that. We are deeply concerned about what might happen if we go to this country at a time like this, but the Spirit is calling us, and so we are going to pray about that situation. I don't know what's going to happen if I fight for my marriage one more time, but that's what it looks like to go all in with Jesus right now, and I'm so anxious. Well, let's pray about that right now. And the question is, do you have people in your world who, when you bring worry and concern, they are those who don't just pray for you, but they say, I'm going to pray with you right now. I know I need to grow in that more and more and more starting at my home. I need to grow in this being the first response. And um, it's no mystery that when we begin to pray our worries, we create an environment conducive to joy because there's a miracle attached to this prayer in verse 7. And it says, and as we pray those worries, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus' promise. If you go all in with Jesus and say, I want to run after him. I want to reach after Jesus and reach after the lost. And you become worried about what might happen if you continue to do that and you pray about it. The promise of peace is real and available to us within reach. And I fear that so often I leave that promise on the table by simply not praying. No, I dwell on it. I invite other people. We talk about it. And we even keep each other accountable about it. But at the end of our accountability, we don't come back to the source of power and say, now let's invite some peace on this situation. 
Let's invite the peace of God to come and stand guard as a security detail over our lives. And so the equation is not quite complete. And I'm telling you, show me an environment in which peace is reigning, in which the power of the, 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 the Lord's peace is dwelling. And I'll show you people who are like, we're good. It's not easy, but we're good. And so even as we wrap right now, I want, I want us to do just that, to just take a moment and pray. If this is true, why should we leave this room without bringing to him things that may be concerning us and experiencing something of his peace? So I don't know what the spirit of God is doing in you. But I want to take a second to pray, especially for those of you who would say, yeah, I'm, I, I want to follow Jesus. Because sometimes we want peace and sometimes we want joy. We're just, Jesus, can you just give me your peace and give me your joy and then I'll just go on my way. And it's like, no. No, but for the person who says, Jesus, I want to come after you. I want to run after you. Things may stand in your way and you may be experiencing obstacles. Maybe it's in your health. Maybe it's even in your marriage. And you may be concerned about what you might do financially or how you might pull this off if you continue to say yes. And I don't know whatever may be concerning you, but I want to take a moment to pray with you right now and just ask the Lord to, to fill you with his immense Peace. And so I'm going to do something we don't do very often here. Um, I'm going to just invite you um, to wherever you're seated. We'll all close our eyes here in a moment. And if you say, yeah, I need some of his peace and I want to run after Jesus and I need his peace and I want to keep running after Jesus, then I'm going to just ask you, hey, when we close our eyes, slip your hand up. I'm not going to close mine because I'm going to see who it is that I'm praying for. And I want to believe God to be true to his word, even in this space. So maybe you're in the midst of something difficult because you've said yes, and you're moving in that general direction. Or maybe you are saying, I know a person who's struggling with a sin issue that I need to go and talk to. And I'm so anxious. What will happen if I, but I want to follow Jesus, but I'm a little anxious, would love to be able to pray for you, for the peace of God to guard you, even as you continue to move in his direction. And so... Why don't we close our eyes right now? And if that's you and you say, yeah, I, I, I need some peace for what I'm going through or where I'm going, just raise your hand. Um, I'll be glad to pray. Okay. Father, you see those hands reached out. We've talked about the fact that joy is within reach and we believe peace is within reach. And we are reaching out to you, the ultimate source of peace. And so we are asking you to do the miraculous, to do what we cannot do. And in each of those situations, that you would introduce your miraculous peace. I pray that even as these folks walk out of this room, they will know something has shifted and something is settling over them and over their situation. So we pray for peace to be poured out in this place, especially over the lives of those who are running after you and are concerned about something in particular. Thank you for saying yes. You tell us to pray with thanksgiving and we thank you in advance for what you are going to do and we trust you for it. And we pray, Lord, for the rest of us that you would help us to be expressors of our love for the people we care about and to be encouragers of those 
um, we know to run after Jesus and that we'll love each other enough to come alongside and, and help each other when we're stuck or when we are caught up. And that you'd give us a spirit of gentleness that trust Jesus is near. Thank you for hearing us. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.